Before we hit play on today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast, I want to dedicate this episode to my late father-in-law, Malcolm Pickering, who sadly passed away on Monday the 22nd of June 2020. Malcolm loved Guinness and real ales as much as he did wood turning, and the world will be a sadder place without your humour, insatiable love of gardening and questionable driving. Cheers, Malcolm. Today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast is sponsored by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brew houses, SSV Limited has got you covered. In just five short years, SSV Limited have established themselves as your go-to partner to help you grow or launch your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kit, knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion. Their online part shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to ensure your brewery is kept up and running with the majority available on next day delivery. Visit their web shop on store.ssvlimited.co.uk. That's store.ssvlimited.co.uk and place your order today. This is Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Hello, beer geeks, and welcome to another session of the Hot Four podcast, the 4th of July, Independence Day. Rather poetic, don't you think, that Boris Johnson has publicly announced that consumers, in England at least, can frequent their local pub after 15 weeks of lockdown. As we start to emerge from our caves, our homes that have doubled up as our workplaces, our schools and our virtual social spaces... I think many people will be coming out of lockdown with a thirst for conversation with other human beings, actual people, over a pint of cask beer. Without getting into the intricacies of what all this means, a topic that could form a whole mini-series in and of itself, I think it's fairly safe to say that this unprecedented time has left many of us with gnawing questions about the fragility of life, our daily activities, the things we concern ourselves with, both great and small, and what we do with the time allocated to each one of us here on Earth. I know I have. One of the questions that has been reverberating around my head in between homeschooling, website building, label designing and business coaching is why did I get into this in the first place? The answer is simple. I got into the brewing industry to, wait for it, brew beer. I've talked enough about bringing Emmanuel's back from the dead, about the resurrection, a, a word in keeping with the brand. But until now, these have merely been hopes held together with a string of excuses as to why the time isn't right. Oh, I've got too much work on. I need to travel to Leeds this week. I, I can't invest in the equipment. I've got too much podcasting to do. Yada, 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 yada. But the pandemic has made me reassess my life and what I'm here to do. So I took out a bounce back loan, bought a unitank and some canning equipment, as you do, and will be brewing beers in time for the second wave of coronavirus that I'm sure is due to crash upon these shores by this autumn. While COVID-19 has brought about some good in my life, as I'm sure if you look for it, it has in yours, it has also cut a deeper trench into a pre-existing pathway, that of anxiety. Mental health has long played many sectors, but particularly those who have chosen to walk the path of hospitality and, as we discovered from our recent mini-series, The Under Beer Belly. Wow, did you hear that? The cats are fighting. <laughs> yeah, where was I? Um, oh yeah, um, and as we discovered from our recent mini-series, The Under Beer Belly of a Hashtag Brewer's Life, there are many black dogs on the shoulders of bar staff, brewers and business owners alike. Throwing an unprecedented global pandemic into the mix of a pre-existing storm and who knows what the long-term prognosis will be for the well-being of those who chose to make and serve alcohol for a living. 
Having had several rounds of counselling myself and being fascinated with human psychology, the topic of mental health in my line of professional work has been close to my heart for many years. I've both experienced the effects of mental ill health and been a front seat spectator of colleagues and friends who have both suffered at the hands of depression, anxiety and the like over many years. Whenever I've heard people speak out of the subject, which, let's face it, often gets swept under the rug, I've said yes and amen to anyone championing that cause. One of such people is none other than Stu McKinley from the Yeasty Boys. I first met Stu at BRX in 2019, having had some email exchanges and then phone calls prior to ask for his wisdom and advice for Emmanuel's. Stu is the kind of person you want to work for. He's friendly, approachable, down-to-earth and mindful about mental health, workplace well-being and cultivating an environment by which you would willingly give above and beyond to. Stu has also been a big advocator of mental health over the years and in this episode, a discussion we ran out of time for during our last podcasting which took place on a cold, dark evening within the womb-like tap room belonging to St. Mars of the Desert, we talked about everything from the coronavirus pandemic and pubs reopening to mental health, working remotely and adopting good communication skills. I've got so much I could personally add to this topic but I shall save some of that for another day because it's time for this week's... If you know me at all, you'll know that, for my sins, I am also a keen musician. Having supported bands such as the Arctic Monkeys and UK Subs, roaded for Ash and interviewed groups in my journalist days such as Coldplay, JJ72 and Ocean Colour Scene, it will come as no surprise that this week's brewery shout-out goes to East London's Signature Brew. Signature Brew are on a mission to revolutionise the quality of beer at live music events. Launched in 2011, Signature is the world's number one brewery for band collaboration beers, having brewed with Idols, Maguire, Alt-J, Slaves, Mastodon, Frank Turner and many, many more. Given that live music venues face an even more uncertain future than pubs and bars do across the globe, I think it's even more important now than ever we support musicians who put a pivotal voice to our culture. Led by founders Sam McGregor and Todd Bott, the Signature Brewery team is made up of musicians and music fans alike. With an unwavering commitment to quality, Signature Brew has channeled the spirit and energy of live music into a brewery that stands for craftsmanship, artistry and passion. Brewed in Walthamstow, enjoyed by beer lovers and music superfans globally, their beers are of unrivaled quality and they were crowned Sieber's highly prestigious brewery business of the year 2018. Signature Brewery kindly sent me a box of their beers, so I'm going to try Pink Vinyl, which is their fruited goza. So, here it is. I always think it's a bit challenging doing um, beer tastings live, so to speak on the podcast because uh, in the words of Liam Gallagher you only get to do it once and I can hear my kids shouting in the background because it is painfully hot tonight so we're gonna go for it okay I'm gonna try and pour this it's always challenging balancing a macbook on your knee talking to a microphone and pouring a vibrant pink beer but so far, so good. Man, this is so enthralling, isn't it? Don't you wish every podcast was enthralling as this? Can you hear that? Beautiful. Big, thick, pink, foamy head. And a deep, ruby body. Oh, it's got a nice, obviously, fruity smell, which you'd expect from a, a fruited goza. Um, oh, that's lovely. It's tart, it's sharp. It's what you need on a hot summer day after being in the fridge. It's got a slightly salted edge to it. Very, very nice beer. And I, again, as a designer, love their artwork. And a musician, love it even more so. Um, so, if you appreciate music, which I'm sure you do, and you love beer, which you'd be stupid not to listen to a podcast that is all about beer, then head over to signaturebrew.co.uk and check out their pub in a box. If you're feeling slightly anxious about going back to the pub when they reopen, then you can get the pub coming to you through signaturebrew.co.uk. Make sure you check them out. 
And whilst I enjoy the rest of uh, this beer and this podcast, make sure you follow us on social media at Hop Forward Beers. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our Facebook group, which is growing daily with other beer and brew professionals and like-minded individuals. Uh, just search for it, Hop Forward, get in your head in the brewing and beer business and join our community. And make sure you check out some of the work we're doing at hopforward.beer, where we're working with brewers, bars, bottle shops, businesses and suppliers to the brewing and beer industry on everything from websites and label design to branding, marketing and business development. That's hopforward.beer. So let's crack open today's discussion with the benevolent dictator of the Yeasty Boys, Stu McKinley, talking all about mental health in the beer industry. You were born ready, Stu McKinley. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right, mate. I'm covered in your cup of tea now, actually. <laughs> that's, that's really good, yeah. R- rookie era, I've got an empty mug. But um, that's 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 my fault for not being prepared or st- not being alert. I'm not staying alert. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's I- your tea as well, proper tea. Oh, don't do that to me. <laughs> don't tempt me, Frodo. Um, so, yeah, ha- how's it been going? How have you been keeping? Yeah, it's been good. We've been enjoying the kind of enforced lockdown. Uh, as you know, you know, my wife and I both work in the business. She's our art director and I'm the uh, you know benevolent dictator or CEO, I guess you'd call me. Uh, and we're both furloughed at the moment, so we're really enjoying time with the kids and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, the back of the mind is the worry about how things will change. But we've got a great little team and we talk constantly. And um, and Sam, my co-founder of the business, is working his butt off to get the most out of, um, you know, what we can do at the moment with current customers. And we've picked up a few new customers and things like that. So um, overall, we're kind of feeling pretty happy. You know, we've got this kind of time the best weather we could possibly get. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, we've been very, very lucky. Good landlords. Um, you know, the government assistance has been really helpful. Um, you know, there's a fair bit of anger in me from the way things are being handled in regards to my background in public health. But, um, you know, that's a different matter altogether, I think. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen some of your posts on, uh, on Facebook sur- surrounding uh, the, the data and all the rest of it. So just, yeah. just I don't, I don't know that much about your background uh, as far as that's concerned. So what, what, what was it you did exactly? Yeah. So um, yeah, before Yeasty Boys, my background was in uh, as the lead data analyst in New Zealand for um, public health uh, with New Zealand's Ministry of Health, uh, working across a variety of areas from uh, maternity and newborn sort of healthcare through to palliative care, a number of diseases and things like that. Uh, and I spent a good period of time, about four years, in uh, immunisation and communicable disease. Uh, so I worked um, during that time actually for um, Dr Ashley Bloomfield, who's the sort of uh, the head of the Ministry of Health now in New Zealand, who's been leading up the daily press conferences with um, our Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern. So uh, it's really interesting to sort of to look back and see what's happening there and, and imagine what it's like in the teams that are that are working really hard on this and, you know, just the uh, the, the day-to-day excitedness, you know, that they'll be going through because generally you're always planning for things that might happen in the future and, you know, mm. slowly making changes for, um, you know, for things to try and, you know, eke little, you know, efficiencies and benefits out of the system. And now they're just like all hands on deck, you know, on um, on what's happening, you know, here and now. So it's a really different environment for them than, than it normally would be. Gosh, so I would imagine with that background, when you look at the UK and what's happening, and particularly living in the UK as well now, yeah. I bet you're just kind of like sucking your teeth a lot, aren't you? <laughs> I do, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's head in the hand stuff quite a lot. I think. I think for me, the biggest thing is the communication. You know, seeing the communication they've had in New Zealand about how everything's going to happen, and you know, they started this alert system, the four-level alert system, very, very early on, and they were very clear on what those alerts mean. And you know, there's still a little devil in the detail occasionally, but they've really, really stuck to it. Where, um, you know. Boris Johnson came and talked about his alert level system, which has just disappeared as far as I can tell. You know, we really don't know what's happening from day to day. And uh, and I think there's a lack of consistency among, you know, the people delivering the message each day at the, the conferences and things like that. Yeah. It's, you know, worst case scenario in many ways. 
I'm kind of going a bit off grid with the questions I got lined up because we're going to talk about mental health. But um, what's what's your take then on pubs reopening? So obviously you've got this background in um, healthcare, but now you're in a beer business. So I would yeah. imagine you've kind of in some ways got like an inner conflict going on of like, well, you know, on, on the one hand, pubs being open, people drinking beer in that environment's great for the economy but it completely sucks for transmitting this virus to people like what's yeah. what's where, where you at in your thinking with that at the moment um I, I don't really have any conflict i'm kind of i'm very much i always lean towards the you know the public good i guess and that's a side of things and um and with without a doubt you know for me there's no way to uh, i'm not very keen on the schools going back at the moment yeah. um and i think they could have done the schools in a different way i think the older kids are probably better off at going back because they're already walking around the streets holding hands anyway. So oh. we see them here everywhere, you know. It's, it's like it around here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, for me, it's, uh, I mean, I haven't thought a lot about how things can happen and, and that's my biggest worry about the future for, you know, for our industry certainly is um, is how pubs are going to gonna go back and how they're going to cope because there's, um, you know, the amount of years, I've done some numbers on the amount of years towards, you know, making this disease endemic, you know, which is what they call herd immunity, um, mm. which is essentially getting it to an area where it affects us in such a low-level way that it becomes, you know, like the flu every year or like, um, you know, chickenpox and other diseases that are still around that we're not really, you know, vaccinating for um, across a wide population. Um, and it's, you know... It's closer to 100 years than a couple of years uh, for that to happen. Uh, if we just, if we let it go in a similar way that we're doing now, um, and we've kind of missed the boat on, you know, closing the country, uh, which some countries have done really well. So uh, um, I wouldn't want to be in the inner sanctum now trying to make those decisions on how we open everything up and everything because they really are, um, you know, they're on a hiding to nothing because they missed the boat so early in, in the ways that Mongolia and New Zealand and Vietnam, you know, really, they locked down their countries really, really well, very, very early, you know, when they had a few cases. Um, I think Mongolia even had zero cases when they when they did it. So their only cases have been from people coming to the country. No community transmission there. New Zealand had really, really low community transition. And, you know, from this week or next, I think they're basically back to normal besides the fact that there'll be no tourists anymore. People will be able to go to bars and normal ways and things like that. It's, you know, it's very, very difficult to watch from far away. But also, um, you know, I realise the sort of, you know, the political, you know, willpower needed to make those decisions very, very early on. It was mm. kind of pretty much, if you don't get this right, you know, you're gone. Um, and uh, and the UK sort of got it wrong. Most countries did, you know, to be honest. Yeah, I guess you've hit the nail on the head about miss, missing the boat. I mean... Ironically, as well, you know, with us being a, a small island, you know, it was it was like it was right for the picking. <laughs> but um, but there you yeah. go. You know, I remember being at um, Beer X, you know, and um, I've with a few people I've I've spoke to who were also at Beer X at the time. And it's it's uh, in, uh, on a personal level, I'm, gl I'm really glad that I still went ahead. But retrospectively, I'm just like probably shouldn't have gone ahead, <laughs> you know. And at the time, it was all like elbow bumps, toe tapping, ha 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 ha, you know um we'll, we'll be okay the and actually you know it probably shouldn't have gone ahead so oh just on the same note i was in uh tampa florida at that time for hoonapoo day the cigar city festival we were supposed to be pouring and um yeah it was a similar thing there they actually did uh decide not to go ahead with the festival and they didn't decide until the very last minute so everyone had come into tampa for it uh, and they still did, you know, they did a couple of things where, you know, they invited us all to their tap room and things like that. But, you know, for a festival that has, I'm not even sure how many people, 15,000 people, they obviously decided it was um, the best thing to, to not go ahead with it. And they didn't. And that was rather disappointing, of course, because we'd flown all this way for this amazing festival. But uh, I'm glad they made the right decision for, you know, for their staff and their, their local community. Yeah. I mean, I guess hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. The, the last time we were on the podcast together was at St. Mars of the Desert, so a, a lot's obviously changed since then. So how, how have Yeasty Boys had to change their business model in light of COVID-19 since we were last together in that tap room? Yeah. 
Well, it's funny because um, we're sort of almost back to where we were then in, in many ways. We were um, we were very much a, a small pack focused business, you know, doing sort of 85%, 90% of our volume in cans um, and selling a lot to the off-trade really more than the on-trade. Um, a little bit into on-trade in cans, obviously, but uh, the vast majority was in the off-trade. Uh, which is pretty much how we've worked across New Zealand and Australia over the years as well. Uh, we did it. We did during last year decide to focus a lot more on the on trade, and we we got a sales manager in at the end of last year, and his focus was very much on the London pub trade. And uh, now we've of course had to sort of pivot back to you know to the off trade and uh, especially online businesses and things like that. We've started up our own web store, which. Um, had always been kind of sort of too far down the list for us to really get into, uh, and now we've got that up and running. But we're still focusing mostly on selling beer through um, through other kind of online businesses and traditional off trade like uh, supermarkets and uh, the likes of Majestic Wine, who uh, haven't been open during this time, but I suspect they'll be looking to open fairly soon. Um, uh, and then you know all the traditional kind of uh, you know off-license, uh, you know, wholesale businesses and retail businesses that we had worked with over the last few years anyway. So um, in some ways, yeah, as I say, we've gone back to business as usual uh, and stepped away from the the, the focus on pubs. Mm. One of the things we were going to discuss but never managed to fit it in whilst at St Mars was to talk about mental health within the industry. And I know that's a topic that's quite close to your heart. So um, firstly, how, how much of an issue do you think mental health is in the wider beer industry uh i think it's probably it's as much as any other industry i'd say but in many ways i think it's exacerbated by the fact that we obviously are um you know in close proximity to alcohol which you know can make things worse um self-medication wise and things like that um and also just the sort of the hospitality kind of lifestyle you know of uh working longer hours and sort of um often being pushed in a way for, for working for small businesses where you you almost work as though you own the business. I see a lot of that in yep. hospitality, um, both in the sort of manufacturing, brewing side and sales, and then through to, you know, people working in pubs and things like that, where um, I think just so many small businesses, you know, work in that way. And I don't think it's often an intentional thing of the owner to do that. It's just that, you know, it's an all hands on deck kind of small business kind of thing, and um, and people just get caught up in the the excitement of working for something that's interesting and exciting like that. So, um, um, I think those those combinations of things, you know, do tend to make things a little a little bit worse. Um, you know, but one thing that I see that's really good is that a lot of people in you know in the beer world and and hospitality are, are very good communicators. So they do talk about their mental health issues. You know whether that's explicitly or um, implicitly through you know the things they post on uh, social media and things like that. Yeah. So how much do you think mental health, particularly in the realms of brewing and hospitality, then plays a part of how much people move around between jobs and workplaces? Because you, you see a lot, particularly with brewers and, and even more so with bar staff, that constantly moving on to different things. Now I know some of that's just kind of like career progression and sometimes yeah. people get tired of being in the same place but um you know i also know that people move on because there's things going on in those businesses they don't like and like say in a in a small to medium enterprise those things just are a lot more evident than in a big corporation yeah. where there's lots of procedures and things in place so i mean how, how much of that do you, do you think plays into that to all that yeah, I think that's a, a huge issue. And you know, when you look at things from a business owner perspective, even if you don't, you know, care so much about uh, the people who work for you, um, like, you know, like we do, um, we really do care for the people who work with us. Um, you know, just as a practical point of view from a business owner, if you look after the mental well-being of your staff, they will stick around. And, you know, the last thing people want in a small business is staff turnover because, it takes your focus away from, you know, doing the things that you need to do just to survive. Um, you know, keeping the business running becomes very, very difficult when people are leaving and you're constantly, you know, looking, hiring for new people, you know, putting job adverts out and going through interviews and stuff takes a huge amount of time uh, for us when we do go about that. Uh, and, you know, you get the reputation perhaps as, as well as someone who doesn't look after your staff so well. So I think it's a, 
you know, it's a practical issue uh, as well as a sort of ethical one. I know one of the things I've discovered firsthand is a lot of mental health issues often stem around interwork relationships. So like, like you say, like, how does my boss treat me? Or what are my colleagues like? Um, yeah. I mean, how, how do you make sure, I guess with, you know, as an example from Yeasty Boys, maybe, how, how do you make sure that um, you've got a team that works hard towards its goals, but also while you as a business owner create an enjoyable working atmosphere and maintain respectful relationships? Because there's a fine yeah. border, isn't there, between sort of, um, you know, being the boss and, and it being your business and ultimately the book stopping with you, but then treating everybody respectfully and being like the first among equals. Yeah. Yeah, we very much kind of work along those lines and it's, um, it's we sort of take everything as in a case-by-case basis as well of, um, of thinking about the individual and what their needs are. Um, and trying to work things out with them. So we don't have like an overarching policy or anything like that about how we deal with things. You know, we're still a very small business and and we work very much as a group of friends. And although we may not all be friends with each other individually, I think that, you know, among us there is a, um, you know, there's a network of friendship um, in different kinds of ways. Um, for me, uh, you know, trying to learn as much as I can is really important. So when I see, you know, mental health seminars or anything at um, any beer festivals or trade shows or things like that, I've always tried to attend them and just try and learn a little bit more about, you know, what some of the resources are out there for us and what some of the things are that I might be missing. Because um, I'm not, you know, I'm often looking off into the distance and not looking around me at what's happening, you know, on a day-to-day basis. So uh, I miss all the gossip and the rumours in the beer industry, you know, yeah. until someone spells <laughs> something out for me completely um, because I'm not really just, I'm not that way inclined. Um, yeah, so talking to our staff is, you know, an important one and, and lots of one-on-one stuff. And from down, you know, as, as kind of little uh, sort of uh, detail of um, just thinking about how I, communicate with staff members on a day-to-day basis you know like uh we have a staff member who loves a sort of daily video call and then another staff member who likes you know uh whatsapp messages um and thinking about those kind of things um and and understanding you know what it is that you're comfortable with yourself may not be what's comfortable for other other people so just you know anything from there through to um doing whatever we can to help when someone is you know not having a bad day or um uh, someone is you know sorry, having a bad day or, you know, perhaps not feeling quite well and trying to read some situations and those sort of things. Um, but most of all, being open to people come to us and let us know when, when things aren't quite right or anything like that. And yeah. so far, things have been generally pretty good like that. I think we've had a bunch of open staff. I think it helps that uh, the average age of our staff members is around early 40s, you know, 41, 42. So, um that probably helps a lot, you know, for us. There's a fair maturity in, in what we do. And even though none of us really feel grown up, so to speak, um, we um, we certainly have been through a fair bit to know what, what it is that we want out of, you know, the business that we're, you know, an owner of or working for and um, and the job that we do. Mm. It's I think it's good that you've, um, you know, you've got that mindfulness because I think what's going to happen and partly I say some of this from personal experience that I've had before in the past, um, particularly with working with um, remote businesses, is that um, there's going to be a lot of people in the industry that are thrust into having remote elements to their business, particularly with like office staff and stuff. And if you're not mindful about how you're communicating and how your emails are worded, for example, like, you know, if like an email written in haste, you might just think, oh, OK, yeah, send an email, fine don't think anything of it but the recipient could read it and be like i can't believe you just said that to me you know because you read it with your own kind of tone on and and let's face it most of the time it's never kind of like really happy sing-song tone it's like a why didn't you do that you pleb kind of tone um and you know it sounds like you've got a lot of experience with running a remote business so for any of our listeners that are now thrust into the realms of having a remote element to their business what what tips can you give them from a communication point of view um particularly when it comes to being mindful about um the, the well-being of their staff i'd say um <clears throat> if you don't if you're not like 100 percent sure on how your staff you know like to be communicated with them ask them that's probably the key thing um 
yeah, because, uh, you know, as I say before, we have staff who like to communicate in different ways um, and then they have different needs in regards to what they want and some of that's personal situation, you know, someone living alone right now during a lockdown is um, a very different situation from someone living with a family, you know. They've got too much time in their hands where someone with a family has, you know, not enough time in their hands to sort of get through a lot of things, especially if you've got kids at home, you yeah. know, homeschooling yeah. and stuff like that. Um, so that's the key thing is, is trying to understand what it is that your staff, you know, how they like to communicate. If it's a regular time every day or if it's that they want to communicate at a time that maybe suits them and you might get short notice on when that might be. Um, <clears throat> and I'm far from perfect, of course, but we're trying to put sort of, you know, things in place. So we have one staff member who I chat to every day and um, generally that's not really about work. It's just about, you know, having a bit of a catch up and we have a beer at the end of the day and, and have a bit bit of a chat and sometimes some work stuff crosses our mind but we're both furloughed and it's kind of you know we we kind of gel each other along for ideas of you know what the future might look like but um you know we're not sitting down with a, an agenda every day or anything like that it's really just a matter of having a beer and you know making it feel like there's someone else to have a bit of a chat to yeah before we all went into lockdown like how, how did you personally deal with the daily pressures of running a beer brand and brewery like Yeasty Boys, and how's that changed now that you're furloughed? But I guess both for the better and maybe for the worse. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, like the thing that's been really interesting during the furlough, and I'm sure this has happened for a lot of people, is that um, it's given us a chance to sort of step back and think about what it is that we want for the business. Uh, you know, what we want for ourselves as individuals within the business and then what we want for the business as a whole. Um, where it wants to be and we've actually been talking about that a bit um, within the business anyway about kind of like you know where we want to stand on certain issues and those kind of things and being a little more clear on because uh, I think a lot of people within the industry know that you know we're a sort of very positive community focused sort of business but when you don't have a tap room or a sort of you know a flag in the ground somewhere of where you're from and what community you are a part of it's kind of harder to define that as a business um, so this has given us quite a bit of time to sort of think about lots of that stuff, you know, and on the business sort of sense, but also as a, you know, as a family ourselves and then, um, and for our staff as well in regards to, you know, what it is they're doing and what, what's, you know, how they like to work and those kind of things. Um, and being a remote kind of business, we're pretty lucky in that regard that we do have the ability to potentially work everywhere. So, um, we've always had, uh, Sam, uh, my co-founder, who you know, he's he's always been here on a three-year kind of basis. So he's coming up to the end of his three years where he was planning to go off and live somewhere else and go back to kind of part-time working as more of a board member than a than a day-to-day, -day, you know, manager. Mm. Um, and then we have Camilla, our marketing manager, who's Danish and has family there that she's very close to. And, you know, anytime she wants to go and work from there, you know, she's more than welcome. Um, she knows that. And, um, you know, for all week here, she could be based there all the time because her, her job is very much based on, you know, um, you know, communications and um, and social media and all the kind of wider marketing things that don't really need face-to-face -face yep. meetings that much. She's a very good remote worker, you know, it suits, suits the way she lives um, and stuff like that. Um, and then my wife and I, you know, we could, again, we could live anywhere to a certain degree. We have to be in London a bit more because I have more meetings and things like that. So, um, so those kind of things have come being thrust back to the forefront of my mind because you get bogged down and just, you know, saying that you go to London three times a week, but then you look back and you think, I'm there like five times a week basically or, you know, travelling around the country doing all this stuff when perhaps we could do things in a better way. You know, we're now doing some tastings online and things like that and they're actually proving to be quite successful and then you think instead of going off to one bottle store and, um, you know, Cheltenham or something and doing a tasting with 15 people, why don't we do it with 60 people across, you know, working with four stores across the country in different places and almost creating a community amongst them as well as, you know, ourselves. Um, so there's a lot of these things where, uh, and I'm sure people in normal jobs, you know, as I say, we, I don't think of ourselves in a normal job. Hmm. Um, there are people now who are thinking, why was I commuting an hour each way every day when I can do my job very easily from home? Um, you know, potentially they may start going back to one day a week or something. And then, you know, from the business's perspective, they'll be thinking, why do we have an office in London with a thousand people in it when 900 of those can easily work from home? 
um, and we could have maybe some shared space for people who come in now and then. So I think it's going to change the world, you know, completely, um, you know, in a similar way to the war did. You know, the population of London pre-war was, I think, about the same as what it is now, and it took 60 years or something for a population to come back to what it is now. Uh, and I think this is potentially going to change the world in a, in a very similar way. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know if you've ever read Tim Ferriss's um, The 4-Hour Workweek, which is, it, it's almost, it's quite idealised in that, you know, you, you set up your business to only work four hours and you work remotely and stuff. But, the, you know, he outlined some principles in there about working remotely. And I think he first wrote it back in like 2008 or something like that. Um, yeah. You know, and, and give some tips for if you if you're an employee about working remotely and, and sort of pitching that idea to your boss. And... Um, when I first started working remotely, I I was like, this is great. You know, like I feel more productive because like I can, as long as I'm doing the hours and I'm getting the results, then um, I can work when I want. I don't feel like I've got to be in at a certain time and you know, actually focus my mind a lot more than going into an office and being expected to do certain hours. So hopefully, you know, it'll, it'll do the same for a lot of businesses. But I guess it does, like say, come down to having that level of maturity on your team where yeah. you can expect people to get on and to be self-starters, you know, because I, w- I would imagine there'll be the opposite effect for some businesses where people don't have that level of maturity and it's a bit like, eh, manure, manure, tomorrow, tomorrow, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing really is that you know, some jobs really lend themselves to working remotely and working whatever hours you want, and then others don't. Yeah. Um, and you have to be careful that, you know, you're not being seen to be kind of like really easy on some people and, and a bit harder on others and the way we work. Um, and in some ways, I think we're probably a little bit more relaxed. Sometimes people need more direction. Um, and other time, you know, other times people don't need so much at all. Yeah. So that's probably, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we just need to think of especially as we grow and we we get a little larger and we have some more staff i mean at the moment we're growing by like a staff member a year or something like that so we're not you know it's fairly easy to to integrate someone into that kind of model and um and get them to feel comfortable with you know how they're working but for us hours have never been a thing you know we don't have a set thing where you have to work hours you know either from a to b or as many hours a week as anything if if someone could hit all their goals in four hours a week we'd be more than happy with that it's um it's all about you know the output rather than the input for us yeah that's that sounds good um and what about your brewer at the moment um what whereabouts your beer is being produced and how's that working so we just moved um, earlier this year, sort of just before the lockdown, we sort of uh, eased all of our beers into um, a Utopian Brewery down in Exeter. So now instead of having two, we had up to three breweries at, at one point, um, sort of early last year. We were working across three different breweries. We've now got everything going through one brewery. So special releases, seasonals, you know, core ranges all go through one brewery. So that's really, really nice. It's, um, it's good to have... You know, a bit of a home, even if it's not a geographical home, it's, uh, you know, good people to work with. We work on it. We've got a similar wavelength and similar philosophy about, you know, beer and treating people right in your community and those kind of things. So, um, and they're just absolutely fantastic brewers. You know, I think they're making the best lagers in the country at the moment, to be honest. And, um, and you know, the beers, the beers have got like a gentleness about them that the business does as well. Jeremy, the head brewers are... A really really lovely guy um you know stays out of the limelight just does a fantastic job with what he's doing with the beers and uh richard the managing director who we deal with a lot is um is again a you know a really lovely guy who uh, occasionally gets a bit angry about uh, politics on twitter but generally is um you know is a very very positive character yeah I'm hopefully getting Richard on the show soon, so uh, I shall uh, maybe maybe prod the bear a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> always good. No, he's good. I think That's he's it. very probably probably very similar to me. He's pro- he's probably a little more controlled than me in most instances, <laughs> but um, I think we align we align very well there. Yeah, they're 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 a great brewery. It's, it's interesting to see how much um, attention they've been getting recently um yeah. so i got this little pack through and then um you know i was really impressed with the beers and gave him a little shout out on the um that's where the the whole shout out idea came from actually um on the podcast like um 
you know, gave him a little shout out. And then all of a sudden I saw popping up online um, other podcasters that I know <laughs> with their little four packs. And then all of a sudden yeah. everyone, everyone was talking about them on Twitter and ordering their beers. And I thought, oh, that's, I don't know if it was calculated. I wonder if it probably was, but very, very good move. Very smooth. Yeah, yeah. No, it very much was. And it's, um, it's, you know, I think they've done it in the right way. They've put themselves, they're about a year into, you know, brewing now. And uh, the beers are all really nicely dialed in. You know, they're doing a really, really good job. And also, you know, they've got to the point now where they have to almost create a different market because they really focused around the local area and they were selling a lot of keg, you know, beer in that, that space. And, you know, now's the time to spread their wings a little bit and, you know, get the beer out there and the word out there. And as I say, you know, like the beers are fantastic. They're really, really nice people. I've known Ruth longer than I think anyone else in the UK beer industry. She was uh, she was our minder when we first came over to brew a collaboration with Adnams in 2004, early 2014, so six-odd years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, yeah, she's fantastic. Really, really good for their business as well. Fits in perfectly, I think. Yeah. So how, how much do you feel social media and tap reviews and beer Twitter plays into the hands of mental health, especially when you log into Facebook or whatever? And at the moment, there's so much anger or false data, as like you said earlier with the, the health stuff, like you've I've often seen you pull out uh, statistics and be like, that's not right. Like, how much does that play to mental health, particularly for brewers or people working behind bars when, when they see some of these reviews and all the conversations that happen? Yeah, um, I think it's kind of like, in general, it's a, you know, it's a wider population issue, of course, of the, you know, everyone's life looks perfect on social media and, uh, you know, they you only show, you know, the, the nice things you're doing, the, the lovely walks you're going on, the holidays you're going on and stuff like that. Um, and there's a small percentage of people who are pretty open about how life can be difficult for them. Um, and I think you get a bunch of people who don't like either side of that equation. You know, they think they don't like seeing the people kind of whinging about stuff and they feel like they're looking for attention. And then you've got the other people, you know, or perhaps even the same person who's looking at all the, the lovely pictures of people, you know, in happy times with their families and stuff not talking about the um, the difficulties that it is just trying to run a family and hold down jobs and pay all your bills and that kind of thing. Um, so I think that's that's difficult for a lot of people and I totally understand why some people kind of shy away from social media for that reason. Um, whereas I don't I don't tend to take it that way um, myself personally, but we it's certainly something that we've talked about uh, in our team a little bit uh, as well about sort of um, you know, how we manage that ourselves um, personally, you know, as much as a business, um, I think is, is really, really important. Um, certainly in regards to the, you know, fake news and the, you know, strange statistics and everyone being an expert in what they do, uh, I think that, you know, that really, really adds to anxiety, obviously. Um, and if you get into the specifics of the beer world, it's, um, you know, I think there's a lot of people who think other breweries are doing really, really well when they're not doing so well themselves. Um, and, you know, that's that's a big weight on you um, and your mental health. But if people would talk individually to other brewers and brewery owners, they'd think they'd find that, you know, there's all sorts of a mess going on all the time, you know. I still remember, you know, collaborating with Cloudwater in their very early days, not long after I'd arrived here, and everyone thought they were just doing everything perfectly, you know, but I got there and they were having all sorts of trouble with, you know, um, sudden stuff in the brewery, you know, technically. um, They had, you know, labels that were printed with incorrect stuff on them that they were going to have to get reprinted. You know, there's all this stuff going Mm. on behind the scenes, you know, the classic thing of the the duck looking graceful on uh, top of the water, but, you know, (laughs) (laughs) underneath the water. Um, that I think, you know, you only get to know if you start to talk to people one-on-one. Mm. Um, I've talked to a couple of people in the past, and uh, I can't remember everyone I've mentioned it to, but I know Alex Troncoso from uh, Lost and Grounded. We've discussed the idea of, you know, some kind of support group almost at some point that we need to have where, um, where we get we get together in some sort of, you know, group chat and actually remind each other that things are shit behind the scenes often. 
we're only presenting the good side because, you know, no one wants to hear about the shit that's going on with the business unless you're really, really into, you know, the industry itself. Um, in general, people just want to hear when new beers are coming out or we you doing something nice in the in the community that you're in and, you know, perhaps helping some people in some way or, you know, just nice little stories. Yeah. Um, if the hospitality and drinks industry and wider culture is in, in some ways being given a clean slate or, or at least an excuse to reappraise how things are done, what changes do you think need to be made then both in our industry and wider culture to create a world that is better to live in co coming out of COVID-19, whenever that will be? or because of COVID-19? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It would be nice to see a general slowdown of, you know, things, I think. I think that there's often a blinkered, you know, view of the world because people are just so busy going about their day-to-day -day business. Um, and, of course, that, a lot of that is about just trying to survive. Um, but the, there's potentially a, an opportunity here for people to, think a little smarter and i think that you know as we mentioned before about people realizing they can work from home a little bit more and things like that you know there are opportunities for businesses to look in similar ways and just being a bit smarter i know f for a start ourselves we've stepped back from some of the stuff that we were looking to do you know late last year early this year in regards to the way we sell to the on trade and everything and thought there is potentially a better way to do things when things return to whatever the new normal is um and I think there's yeah opportunities for all businesses now to, to take that time to think in this way. Um, and hopefully people can get through the, the anxiety of kind of not knowing how things will be into thinking about, you know, just what it is that they want out of their business and, um, you know, whether they're an employee or an employer, um, whether they have a, you know, single tap room or pub or, you know, a big chain of them. Um, there are certainly opportunities here and, and there's been so many examples of people who I think many of us will agree are doing things the wrong way um, that, you know, it can be a, a reminder to people that, you know, in the end their, um, their, their shareholders and their employees are, are key and, and forgetting about what everyone else is doing and trying to be bigger and better and faster than the rest is, um, is not what we're here for. Mm. Obviously, you were saying earlier about excessive alcohol consumption, which can play a massive part uh, to the detriment of mental health. Uh, what are some of the ways you think that brewers or beer writers and consumers and people behind bars and the like can stay on top of their consumption before it gets on top of them? Um, I think it's probably, um, you know, talking about it is the most important thing. Uh, it's, you know, in many ways, it's like the... Um, you know, this whole Black Lives Matters uh, that's going on at the moment. It's um, unless we unless we get away from pretending there's no problem, um, we're not going to solve it, you know, either as a wider industry or individually. Um, so that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, you know, potentially keeping a diary of, you know, what you're drinking is probably an important one as well. Um, and I'm not sure what resources are out there for things, but I know that um, it's really interesting to me here. One thing I've noticed is that the um, the UK standard units is based around kind of like how much you should be drinking or how much is okay to drink kind of per week from, you know, the chief medical officer or whatever it is. Where in New Zealand it's very much based around sort of, you know, um, a unit that is kind of like going to enable you to drive. So, um, so the units are calculated very, very slightly differently. It's more about sort of how much you're processing, you know, on an hour by hour basis. Um, so I think that potentially the UK is maybe a step ahead in some ways in that regard, um, but I'm not sure how much people, you know, really, really think about it. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of those things where, you know, family and friends are the most important um, businesses probably just need to be aware of it as well and and there are probably sometimes uh policies that people can put in place uh, i certainly know that i've worked for a place where um uh because some of the people were not able to drink during their job um, because they were drivers in the business they had a policy across the business that no one could so the sales people couldn't have alcohol during their lunch break and mm. stuff like that you know, mm. or with you know a client at lunch or something like that um 
and I imagine that's potentially some of the bigger breweries kind of work in those kind of same spaces as well. You know, if, if someone's not allowed to be drinking, you know, working in a, on a bottling line, then um, why should the salespeople be drinking at lunchtime? It's, you know, it's a thing that people always did, but does it necessarily have to happen? Um, I'm not really sure. Uh, it's certainly not something that I've thought about on the, you know, the macro level. I've thought about it more on the micro level about, you know, with our contract, we... Um, we basically have a line in there for people to make sure that they're looking after their liver. Um, perhaps we need something in there that's a little more clear about mental health um, and the way that we support people uh, in those situations, you know, instead of just saying we're behind you when uh, you need some mental health, um, you know, assistance, perhaps we should be helping them pay for that in some way or something like that, you know, uh, in the same way that some businesses pay for their staff to have eye tests because they're sitting at computers all the time. Um, you know, perhaps in this industry we should be looking at, um, you know, a better standard of looking after your staff in regards to, you know, how you support them in that way. Yeah, totally. Be good if something like Untapped had um, a thing in it where it could count how many units there were in the beers. And so, like, you know, if you obviously it only works if you check every beer in. Yeah, but, you know, a lot, a lot of people obviously use that app, um, particularly the kind of people that like to drink a lot of beer, where it could tell yeah. you how, how, how many calories there are, um, how many units you've had, and then you've got a, a thing for the week. Rather than getting a score of you've smashed it, another double IPA, bam, that's five in a row. You know, yeah. you could actually look at the end of your week. I'm like, I've had 10 double IPAs this week. Not that I would, but, you know, I've <laughs> had 10 double IPAs this week. Um, yeah. You know, because I know there are apps out there like that, but the the beer that they you generally have in there, it's just kind of like five percent lager, four percent ale. You know, and it doesn't really yeah. kind of get into like f- for the kind of people that would would drink a lot of beers. Um, you know, it doesn't really lend itself to that. Yeah, yeah, it's not a bad idea. It's kind of uh, it's interesting, you know, to think about how that would how they would think about that untapped because it's a really useful tool to bring in potentially other people who are outside the untapped market at the moment who just might want to track what they're drinking, um, you know, in a, as you say, the calories and the alcohol units kind of way. But who is, who's the customer for untapped? Is it, the, is it actually the breweries or is it the, uh, is it the consumers? I think it's I'm not really sure. I don't know. I don't look at Untapped enough to know to understand what they're trying to achieve with their model, rather than get a lot of people logged into it. And I think if you want to get a lot of people logged into it, then surely any can any extra value that's added back to the to the drinker as um, as a useful, I useful think, addition. I think it's aimed at um, verified venues rather than consumers so obviously the, the, the consumer is it's a bit like facebook isn't it? it's like um facebook want you on their platform and to spend as much time as possible on their platform so that their paid advertisers can sell you their stuff and i think it's like that with untapped because i know when i was at sheffield brewery um i had a salesperson on from seattle or somewhere phone phone me organized a, a presentation online um, about why we should become a verified venue and how much it would cost and what the advantages would be and so on. So I, I think that's why they want you on there. So whether they would put in a thing that potentially stops drinkers drinking as much beer because of the health reasons, yeah. <laughs> you know. But again, it's that all taps into the mental health thing. And, and, and I, I guess to round up this conversation, it's, it, you know, I think what COVID-19 has done for a lot of business and the economy and life is that it's uncovered a lot of where um either people have been profiteering or putting profits before people yeah um you know and and i was was talking to pete brown recently for a podcast uh where he said you you know you'll remember the shops on the high street where you know the, the one shop has tried to help people out by putting flour into little bags and sell it them or going to drop off groceries at your door because you can't get out versus the other shop on the high street that tried selling your bog roll and hand sanitizer for a tenner yeah um so l- l- last question then where, where do you see the beer industry heading over the next few years especially in light of all this um i think i just i had a quick thought in my head about the last one yeah, um, go for it. 
just before we go, yeah, um, I was just thinking about, you know, like the idea of uh, if people could see uh, the effects that their TripAdvisor, you know, or untapped comments caused on the mental health of the people who are actually, you know, serving them in restaurants or the receptionist at the hotel they stayed in or, you know, the brewer of the beer that they kind of check in, um, that would be amazing if you could have some sort of feedback, you know. The, the, um, the hotel receptionist had to have uh, three extra wines tonight because of the terrible review that you left for them or, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because people don't think about that. I think that's one of the big things about this online reviewing kind of system is um, they don't think about the effect of, you know, what their feedback means to someone who's, you know, working really, really hard and, um, and has a lot of things on their plate other than just the job that they're, you know, attending for the day. Um, on that, with Emmanuel's, I one of the reasons I stopped doing that for a season was because of some of the negativity I'd got over social media. Um, partly it was to do with the brand. And again, it, you're only talking like one or two individuals. Yeah. Um, but you know, a, a little bit of negativity here and there. And then I, you know, I'm, I'm investing in a bit of equipment at the moment just to get it going again on a small scale. It's taken me this long to get the courage up again. To, to think, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it and screw what anyone else thinks. Yeah, yeah. One of the best things that happened to me was uh, three, just yeah, three years ago. Or so we took the family back to New Zealand for a holiday, and on the way back we stopped in Malaysia for two weeks. And I put my phone in the safe when we arrived at the hotel room, and I basically didn't pull it out. And that was the day that I essentially stopped looking at Untapped. And uh, and now I only you ever look at it for a certain reason, you know, if we're doing um, if we're doing some sort of uh, event like we did with um, Rex Day a couple of weeks ago, where I want to sort of read out a few things that you know people say online and things like that, or um, or just give people an overview of you know what kind of ratings the beers have and in comparison to other beers and their style and stuff like that, then um, that's the only reason I ever look at it now. Yeah. So I'm not really yeah. looking at the the detail so much as just skimming through for some interesting facts. That's that was the heavily petered golden ale, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was that's that's the one I had at um, Brew London, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh man, good beer that. Yeah. Um, so that beer is. Um, I mean, we got so much hate for that, but I always kind of say that you know, one one really great comment about that beer sort of wipes away you know, um, ten to a hundred uh, terrible comments. So yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, um, I love smoked beers, and. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's evidently stuck in my mind for for me to remember it because I'd had quite a few beers at that beer festival. Um, yeah. But I just I remember I, through, through the fogginess, remember me handing handing me the bottle, saying, "Ah, try this." <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah, I love smoked beers too. I'm like one of the things I'm really hoping that we get out of lockdown for is the um, tour side smoke fest that they do. I think they do it every second year. I don't know if it's every year. No, but, I think it's um, every year. I went last year. And um, yeah, yeah, I'm very keen, very keen to attend it if it happens this year. It's yes, I um, it is it, great. I again wasn't in a very favourable state, and I, I don't normally, you know, when I go to beer festivals, I try and exercise some restraint. But I think it was the fact that um, me and my friend Paddy. you know, we'd we'd had a few, and then we saw the um, Dogs of War, sort of seven fifty mil series we had a sh we had a bottle of that between us and then the couple sat next to us on the table were like oh I'll try this one and then after that i just kind of wanted to hurl <laughs> the train yeah. the train ride back across the peaks it wasn't the most fun um, yeah. i think there's a um there's an element of uh in our industry as well of people the excitement of all coming together, you know, when you're working in uh, an industry that feels fairly collaborative, but you're still working in your own business on a day-to-day -day basis, when you actually do get together at festivals and things like that, it's a really, there's this adrenaline surge that I think people, makes people, you know, probably drink a bit more and, um, you know, it's like the excitement of people first attending the pub, you know, when things open again, is probably going to be similar. It's, um, you know, if you owned a pub, it might almost be worth closing really, really early just to ensure that you don't have to deal with the uh, the blowouts that might be, you know, on the way. Yeah, and I think as well, you know, I guess one of the dangers from a spreading the virus point of view is that, you know, the more alcohol you drink, the, you know, the less inhibitions you have and, and you, you just, you, you know, you, we've got to be so careful about what we 
touching how close we get to people but you know a a few beers over the line you know all that can go to pot very quickly so exactly you end up the night with your arms around each other singing and yeah (laughs) is this the way to Amarillo (laughs) (laughs) Um, so last question then where where, where do you see the beer industry heading over the next few years then particularly in light of what's happening yeah um, I mean I feel like uh, it's going to be it's going to be a long slow road back to what we you know what we used to the world we used to live in and um i i think there's going to be a lot more you know home drinking and having people around to the backyard and things like that you know especially outside of the cities um that's interesting because it's kind of like the way things have always been in australia and new zealand so we're kind of used to that um but obviously it's not so much here in britain you know i know people who have lived here and They've had best friends for 20 years and they've never been inside their friend's house because, you know, they only meet at the pub. Um, and I think that, you know, that's going to change a little bit. Mm. Um, so, um, I mean, we're already seeing it, you know, down this way with um, people coming around to other people's backyards. And, you know, over the last couple of weeks when you've been allowed to meet people, people meeting in parks and things like that, we've got a lot of green space here living in Kent, you know, just outside London. So, um, yeah, I feel like that's where things are going to go a lot. So we're going to see a lot more small pack. Um, and I know already, you know, I've heard rumours of, um, you know, 440 mil cans being short at the moment. And, yeah, I think, you know, cans and bottles are going to become harder and harder to get your hands on because, um, you know, it's just uh, everyone's kind of moving towards there. You know, you can't be a cask brewery now. Um and even when pubs open, you know, there's going to be, you know, if you can only fit 20 to 30% of the people in the pubs at um, at a busy time, then you're probably only going to see that amount of beer being able to go through pubs. Um, and a place that's got 10 taps, all of a sudden you start to think to make it viable for them to keep fresh beer, they're probably going to have to have two or three instead of 10. So, um, yeah, there's going to be some pretty big fallout, I think. Um and you know the ones the businesses who are adaptable obviously you know goes without saying that they're going to be the ones that that do the best but even then things are going to be tough for them um you know there's going to be shelf space is a premium um so online options become more of a a thing for people and i think you know we're, we're already seeing a big move towards people selling online and as i said earlier not just through their own website but through you know um other other places as well so there's going to be a lot of competition for those spaces and, you know, price is going to be um, as much a difficult thing for everyone as it, as it currently is. You know, I think, you know, prices of beer since I arrived in the UK of craft beer are lower now than they were five years ago. Um, and I don't think that's going to change. So um, things are going to become quite quite difficult in that market. And then on the positive side of things, I think there is a lot more people thinking about their local brewery and uh I know um, we've got good friends at um, at Round Corner and Melton Mowbray. Oh, they're great. Uh, yeah, yeah, and they've I think they've you know they've virtually replaced their tap room income with um, you know local deliveries to their market. So they've developed a really nice and a community based you know um, business there. Uh, when perhaps they were thinking of going in a slightly different direction at some point. Uh, and so for them, you know, it'll probably be you know, an easing off of some of those deliveries and, and a return back to the tap room, you know, going a little bit. Uh, and I think there'll be a lot of businesses like that. Um, I know that our local brewery here, Westerham, I'm a big fan of as well. Um, they're looking at expanding their tap room now um, because, you know, they know that people are going to, you know, want to come back to that and they're less likely to go to pubs um, and, a, and a tap room with a nice big outside space and sort of more open area is going to be a little more appealing. And certainly in the summer, you know, as we get into the winter, things are going to become a little more difficult for some of that social distancing to take place. But, um, you know, while the summer's going and every summer, you know, the ability for people to be a bit further apart outside is, um, is going to be really, really important for the industry. So it's kind of a lot of small pack and a lot of kind of, outdoor drinking or big you know wide open space drinking i think is going to be uh, a big part of our next couple of years at least well thanks for being on the show against you um always a pleasure how how can people get hold of your beers um because i see you've got some really good specials online as well at the moment double ipas and things so yeah 
We've got, um, I mean, we've got our own website, which is yeastyboys.co.nz, and then you just click into the UK store. There's an Australian one and a New Zealand one as well, but if you follow that one in. Um, and then uh, we sell quite a bit of beer to the likes of, you know, Beer 52 and Honest Brew. Um, so the beers are available through them. Uh, and then through, um, they're about to go online with a company called Wine App, uh, who look, you know, very, very good in regards to delivery. Um, we've got them through Borough Box as well. Um, it's, you know, loads and loads of other stores, you know, loads of sort of like local bottle stores. If you go searching for, you know, buy Yeasty Boys online, then there's, there's plenty of options. We're fairly easy to get hold of. Um, and, you know, worst case scenario, drop us a line and um, we can see what we can do. Certainly sent beer. During this time, we've sent some beer to, to off strange areas that we never thought we would send beer to, which has uh, been quite nice. <laughs> Great stuff. Brilliant. Well, thanks for being on the show, Stu. My pleasure. Always, always good to talk to you. Today's episode of the Hop4 podcast was proudly brought to you by SSV Limited. From tanks to full brew houses, SSV Limited has got you covered. In just five short years, SSV Limited have established themselves as your go-to partner to help you grow or launch your brewery. High quality tanks, parts, brewing kit, knowledge and experience to ensure your project runs smoothly from beginning to completion. Their online part shop stocks well over a thousand essential brewing parts to ensure your brewery is kept up and running with the majority available on next day delivery. Visit their web shop on store.ssvlimited.co.uk. That's store.ssvlimited.co.uk and place your order today. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers.